Welcome to Hakol Radio's Top 3 segment, where we discuss the top three news stories of the day. Hakol Radio, powered by the Muncie Mavasser and broadcasting live from Schlerko Studios in Muncie, New York. Number 1. A legal hearing into the war in Gaza opens in The Hague in Geneva, Switzerland on Thursday, January 11th as the International Court of Justice, the ICJ, hears arguments alleging that Israel is, quote, committing genocide in Gaza. The Israeli government is calling these hearings, quote, history's greatest show of hypocrisy as the charges are being brought by South Africa, notoriously known for its apartheid state and genocidal history. Genocide cases which are notoriously hard to prove can take years to resolve, but South Africa is asking the court to speedily implement, quote, provisional measures and, quote, order Israel to cease killing and causing serious mental and bodily harm to Palestinian people in Gaza, end quote. The filing also says Israel should cease deliberately inflicting conditions calculated to bring about the destruction of the Palestinians as a group, be ordered to prevent and punish incitement to genocide, and halt restrictions on aid as well as evacuation directives. This comes as the war in Gaza continues to wreak a devastating toll on Hamas and Gazans. The war was launched in response to the brutal October 7th massacre on southern Israel. The unprovoked brutal massacre by Hamas, in which terrorists killed at least 1,200 people, mainly civilians, and took some 240 people hostage. The judges presiding over the ICJ, appointed by the United Nations General Assembly and approved by the Security Council, include judges from various countries, including the United States, Germany, Lebanon, and even Israel. Notably, the Israeli-selected judge, Aaron Barak, is a revered figure in the country's legal landscape. Barak an 87-year-old Holocaust survivor and former Chief Justice in Israel, brings a wealth of legal experience and a unique personal perspective to the deliberations. The session kicked off with preliminary discussions during which South Africa laid out its case against Israel. The next day, Friday, January 12th, Israel will have the opportunity to respond to the accusations. South Africa said on Wednesday, January 10th, that its delegation will include the former UK Labour Party leader, Jeremy Corbyn, a rabid anti-Semite a longtime supporter of the Palestinian cause, but whose time as opposition leader was marred by anti-Semitism allegations. The international community closely monitors these legal arguments, recognizing the potential far-reaching implications for both nations involved. The outcome of these proceedings may set essential precedents in international law. The Genocide Convention, drawn up in, the 1940, in 1948 after the Second World War and the subsequent mur murder of six million Jews in the Holocaust, describes the crimes as, quote, acts committed with intent to destroy, in whole or in part, a national, ethnical, racial, or religious group. The acts include killing members of the group or causing them serious bodily or mental harm. The Hague cannot enforce its decisions, and it is, it is possible that Israel could ignore an adverse judgment, but that would only fuel further international condemnation of its military campaign in Gaza. Israel has yet to have a chance to defend itself against genocide charges at the International Court of Justice, but the chattering class of UN human rights experts are already ready to weigh in against the country. In a tweet sent out by the UN's Geneva headquarters, the group of independent special reporters and other special procedure mandate holders praised South Africa for bringing the case to The Hague, quote, at a time when the rights of Palestinians in Gaza are being violated with impunity. 
The same group condemned Israel on Wednesday, January 10th for an alleged strike last week in Beirut that killed top Hamas terrorist Saleh al-Aruri and other members of the terror group. As the trial at The Hague begins, a Qatari hostage release deal was reportedly put back on the table that included the unilateral withdrawal of the Israel Defense Forces from Gaza as a first condition and then a total cessation of the war while the Israelis, up with, while the Israelis abducted on October 7th would gradually be released from captivity. However, it is hard to believe that Israel will agree to any such preconditions given the position they are in. Benny Gantz, a member of the Israeli War Cabinet, stated during a press conference in Tel Aviv on Wednesday, January 10th, that significant portions of the Gaza Strip are no longer under effective control by Hamas. Gantz highlighted the destruction of public institutions, emphasizing the absence of education and medical services, except through international organizations in those areas. Also, the Israeli military has reported discovering evidence suggesting the presence of hostages in an underground tunnel in Gaza. Journalists were escorted to the site near the remains of the demolished homes and streets where a corrugated tin hut covered the t tunnel's entrance in a residential yard. A makeshift ladder led to the narrow underground pathway approximately 8 feet below the surface. The tunnel exhibited high temperatures and humidity with concrete-lined walls and electrical wires. Deeper inside, a bathroom was identified and the military claimed to have found evidence, including DNA, indicating that hostages had been present. Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari, the Army's chief spokesperson, asserted, quote, hostages were held here in this tunnel system. He did not provide specifics on the findings or details about when the hostages were there or their identification. He also did not disclose their current status, whether they were confirmed to be alive or deceased. In a subsequent media statement, Hagari mentioned that the captives endured, quote, difficult conditions without providing further elaboration. Number two. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie mostly stood alone in this year's Republican primary contest as an uninhibited critic of the party's frontrunner, former President Donald Trump. But he backed off that role Wednesday, January 10th, just days before the first in the nation Iowa caucuses on January 15th. Quote, it's clear to me tonight that there isn't a path to me to win the nomination, which is why I'm suspending my campaign tonight for President of the United States, Christie said at a town hall in Wyndham, New Hampshire. Christie ended his presidential campaign after his stance on Trump's leadership and role in the Republican Party proved to diverge too far from where the GOP currently stands. Numerous conservatives had additionally been calling on Christie to end his campaign for weeks, so that former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley who's been surging in the polls, could have a stronger chance to beat Trump for the GOP nomination. Christie did not endorse another candidate at the time of his announcement, but he did pledge to ensure that, quote, in no way do I enable Donald Trump to ever be president of the United States again, and that's more important than my own personal ambitions. While Christie failed to distinguish himself in the 2016 race, the former U.S. attorney tried to set himself apart this time by confronting Trump. Christie supported and advised Trump during his presidency, even helping Trump prepare for debates against then-candidate President Biden in 2020. But the former governor turned against Trump over the former president's handling of the 2020 election results, including January 6th. Number 3. New York City officials faced a significant backlash on Wednesday, January 10th, as they defended their decision to relocate thousands of asylum seekers from the Floyd Bennett Field tent shelter to a Brooklyn high school due to concerns about high winds and rain. School was closed due to the situation and the move generated such intense anger that the school received a bomb threat. 
Parents and community leaders expressed frustration outside James Madison High School, arguing that classes should not have been shifted online to accommodate the 1,900 migrants temporarily sheltering in the gym and auditorium during Tuesday night's storm. Protesters contended that schools should not be repurposed as shelters, and Floyd Bennett Field, located along the shore of Jamaica Bay, was deemed unsuitable for housing migrants due to its vulnerability to weather events. Critics voiced concerns about the impact on New York City high school students, especially in the context of the challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic. Assemblyman Mike Riley accused Mayor, former Mayor Bill de Blasio of being aware of the potential issues and questioning the timing, costs, staffing, and planning associated with the relocation. City officials reported that migrant families were transported back to Floyd Bennett Field at 4.15 a.m. on Wednesday, January 10th, a decision questioned by State Assemblyman Michael Novakov. He expressed sympathy for migrants and criticized the timing, suggesting they could have stayed until later in the morning when the school was still closed. While city officials stated they would not use James Madison High School as a shelter for asylum seekers in the future, they explained that the decision was made out of caution to ensure the safety of those at the center. Emergency Management Commissioner Zach Iskell emphasized the lack of ideal alternatives, expressing disappointment that state and federal officials only offered Floyd Bennett Field for shelter, despite it being deemed suboptimal. Officials also condemned the bomb threat and hate calls directed at the school, labeling them, quote, deplorable, and indicating that investigations were underway to determine if they constituted criminal offenses. Thanks for tuning in to the Top 3 segment live on Hako Radio, and have a great day.